right, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. And just so you know, we did not plan the commissioning and this topic on the same day, so this verse has nothing to do with PV, Baptist, or anything like that, as we'll soon see. Luke 6, verse 27 Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So we are in the middle of a series called The Love Command. And we're looking at various passages in the New Testament uh, that talk about the call that we have as believers to love others. And the kind of love that we are called to have to, to other people. And today we're going to consider this idea of loving our enemies, of loving people who are extremely difficult uh, to love. I remember a few years ago, um, it, was about Memo- it was around Memorial Day weekend, and uh, Pastor Nick sent uh, Brandon and I a text asking us if we would like to participate in the annual CrossFit workout, Memorial Day weekend workout called Murph. And what that workout consisted of is a one-mile run, uh, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, uh, and finished off with another mile run. Now, I don't remember how I responded, but I remember how Pastor Brandon responded. I don't know if you remember. Brandon didn't say anything, but he just sent this, this gif, this meme. And if you can't read it, it's them, I'll read it for you. It says, I wish I could, but I don't want to. (laughs) I wish I could, but I don't want to. You know, as we consider this topic of loving our enemies, loving people who are really hard to love, people who may have hurt us, people who offend us, people who try to take advantage of us, manipulate us, disrespect us. Uh, While most of us, we know that the Bible tells us to love, perhaps there is a part of us that thinks to ourselves, maybe even subconsciously, like, you know, I wish I could, but I just don't want to. I have no desire to. For some of us, this idea may trigger some past relationships may trigger past experiences that we just don't want to to think of. We're not ready to to, to go there. Maybe you're thinking, I don't even wish I could. I just don't want to. And and if if that's you, I want to start off by saying that's okay. Because the goal for this morning, the, the goal of this passage, as we'll soon see, is not for us to march out these doors and be like, let's go love our enemies. The hope and the prayer is we would simply be able to come before God and say, God, if you want me to to feel any different, if you want me to love those people, you're going to have to help me. 
You're going to have to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to simply look at uh, what is Jesus saying here? What is he telling us? Perhaps more importantly, why he's saying it. And then lastly, how do we go about uh, loving uh, our enemies? So what is Jesus saying here? This part is pretty straightforward. He says, love your enemies. And by enemies, he kind of loosely defines it. He throws examples out like people who hate you, people who curse you, criticize you, condemn you, anyone who mistreats you in any way possible, people who are rude, people who are unkind, people who are disrespectful, people who attempt to take advantage of you, manipulate you, use you, oppress you, persecute you. And 2,000 years ago, and even today, this kind of thinking, this kind of response was completely counterintuitive, right, to the, the culture, to the society, to the values and principles of the day. For the first century Jewish com community, there was this notion of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right? It's in the scriptures, Leviticus. And even though here in the first century, they weren't practicing it literally, it was still ingrained in their culture. Perhaps it was unspoken, but the, the general rule of thumb was if somebody is good to you, then, then be good to them. Right? Treat others the way that they treat you. Somebody blesses you, bless them. If they're kind to you, be kind to them. If they're gracious to you, be gracious to them. But if someone hurts you, if someone mistreats you, if someone is disrespectful, then it was kind of fair game to, to treat them the same. Now, whether you did or not was up to you, but in no way were you obligated or even pressured to be loving, to be gracious, or to be merciful. And yet here Jesus is saying to, to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Right? And Jesus, is, he's not only saying do not take vengeance. He's not only saying refrain from retaliating or reciprocating the, the negative treatment. He's saying to love them. And he's saying not just to love them in our, our inner being, but he says love them through your actions. Love them through your words. Love them even through your thoughts. Right? He says, do good to those who, who hate you. Right? This idea of doing good is love expressed through our actions. Something that is visible, something that is tangible. He says, bless those who curse you. Right? This is love expressed through our words. It's how we speak to them, but it's also how we speak about them when we're not around them. He says, pray for those who mistreat you. Right? This is love expressed even in our thoughts, the way we think about them, whenever we think about them. In verse 29, he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. 
Now, in this section, Jesus is not giving us a step-by-step instruction manual on how to respond to every single situation. In the first century, to slap someone, it wasn't with the intent of hurting them. It wasn't like a, a punch to the face trying to knock someone out. But rather, in, the, in a religious context, to slap someone was to publicly communicate a form of rejection. In a sense, it was to insult someone. It was to publicly show that I disagree with this person. I don't stand with this person. And therefore, I reject this person. And thus, when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, he's not saying to try and get slapped again. But he's saying that there does exist a kind of love. That even if somebody rejects you, that you will pursue that relationship in a respectful but loving way so that if they wanted to reject you again, they, they could. Again and again. Second half of 29, he says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. This gives the connotation if somebody steals from you, do not retaliate. Allow yourself to be stolen from again. Now, once again, Jesus isn't saying that you just need to let whoever, whenever, just take from you, leave your house open, your garage door open, and just have at it. But he is saying that there exists a kind of love where you would love someone so much that even if they took advantage of you, you would willingly, Place yourself in a position where they could take from you if they wanted to. Perhaps this is doing ministry in some place that is viewed as, as dangerous and harmful. Verse 30 says, give to everyone who, who asks you. Once again, Jesus is not saying that you have to, you're obligated to give anytime somebody asks you for help. And this idea carries the idea of somebody who's begging for money or somebody who's asking you to borrow money. Jesus isn't saying you got to give until you have literally nothing for yourself. But he's saying there exists a kind of love where you would love someone so much that you would willingly, joyfully give whenever they are in need. He says, if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Same idea of taking your coat and giving your shirt. But if someone takes, we we do not demand retribution, not because we're obligated to, but because there's a kind of love that loves so deeply that one is willingly, joyfully willing to sacrifice and surrender their own well-being for the sake of another. Verse 31, he says, do others as you would have them do to you. Right, this obviously brings into mind the, the great command of love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is that applies even to our enemies. Even to people who are extremely difficult to love. You know, there are times uh, when, whether at night or in the morning, where I go to my bathroom sink and Amber and I's our bathroom, I'm either getting ready for bed or I'm getting ready to start the morning and I will go to grab the toothpaste and it's not there. I'll go to grab the lotion or contact solution and and I can't find it. You know, there's times when I'm in the shower and the water is running and I reach for the shampoo and it's it's not there. 
And 99.9% .9 of the times, I know exactly why it's not there. Because at some point earlier in that day, my kids were in their bathroom, and they went to go grab their toothpaste, and it was empty, or their lotion bottle, or their shampoo. So rather than go to the garage and grab a brand new one where that's where we keep them stocked, they simply walk into our bathroom, and they just take it. They don't ask, they don't tell us, and they have zero intent on returning it to where it was. And now I know this is a silly example, right? but whenever they take it, there's, there's nothing in me that, that gets upset. I don't demand repayment. I don't put a lock around my sink after. I just go to the garage, I grab a new one, and I just place it there to be taken again. Whenever, however. And this is silly because it's obvious, right? Well, it's, it's my kids. I love them. It doesn't bother me when they take my stuff. And they can take over and over and over. First Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. Right? Which means when we love someone, we are willing to overlook a lot of sin. And the question Jesus is getting us to consider is can we love other people? Can we even love our enemies in the same way? Now before we are moved to a sense of despair over the magnitude of what Jesus is asking us, or before we dismiss this as just, you know what, like, I really wish I could, but I don't want to. This is too hard. This is impossible. It's important that we understand why Jesus is saying this at this point in his ministry. Now, just to give us some context, the fact that we're in Luke 6 tells us that it's, it's fairly early in Jesus' ministry. He's just beginning to go from town to town, village to village, and he is beginning to proclaim, as we're told, the good news of the kingdom of God. In other words, he's letting people know that the kingdom of God has arrived that he's here to usher it in. And along the way, Jesus is performing all kinds of signs and wonders. He's performing miracles. He's, he's casting out demons. He's healing the sick and the disabled. And because of this, he's starting to gain a following. People are starting to hear about him. They're starting to come out of the woodworks. They're coming to, to, to check him out, to see who he is, to see what he's about. And while crowds are beginning to gather, he's also going out of his way to invite specific people to join his, his movement, to become a follower. Beginning of Luke 5, he would invite a fisherman by the name of Peter, and he would say, follow me, that will make you a fisher of men. Later on in chapter 5, he would invite a tax collector by the name of Matthew, which would actually stir up a bit of controversy as people would begin to wonder, what kind of movement is this? In Luke 6, uh, Jesus would hike up a mountain, spend all night in prayer. He would then come down and he would choose 12 amongst the crowds to be his inner circle, to be his disciples amongst disciples. And it's to these 12 and to the larger gathering whom he would deliver what would become to known as the Sermon on the Mount. 
And in Luke 6, we're told, he, Jesus would say, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you. And the majority of the crowd who's gathering, they're poor. They're, they're uneducated. They are kind of the fringe of culture and society. And you can just imagine their, their attention just kind of, hey, that, that's us. We're poor. We're always hungry. Our lives are filled with tears. There's a lot of people who don't like us, want nothing to do with us. So Jesus definitely has their attention. And then he would say, yours is the kingdom of God. Right? The kingdom of God belongs to people like you. He says, one day you will be satisfied. One day you will laugh. Your life will be filled with joy and laughter. And he says, one day your reward in heaven will be tremendous. So you can imagine just the hope and the excitement, the anticipation that they're beginning to feel as Jesus is sharing this to them. And then even better for them, he would say, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed. Woe to you who laugh. Woe to you when everyone says nice things about you. He says, you've already received your comfort. You will one day go hungry. You will one day mourn and weep. This is how Jesus starts his, his sermon. Now, if you were trying to start a movement to, to build some momentum, if you were trying to gain a following if you were trying to grow in influence, popularity, if you're trying to start a business or build a ministry, it seems like one of the last things you would want to do is threaten and insult and drive away all of the wealthy and influential people. You know, the people with power and resources. That's what Jesus seems to be doing. And it would be questionable at best whether you'd want to build this movement around people with no power and no resources. But if you were going to target this group and you wanted to build a movement with these people, it seems like you would need to offer them something pretty enticing, one. And Jesus does that. He says, yours is the kingdom of God. You will be satisfied. Your life will be filled with laughter and joy, and you're going to get a whole lot of rewards in heaven. But not only would you want to entice them, but you would want to make it as accessible as possible, right? So as many people as possible would be willing to, to join, willing to, to sign up. You wouldn't want to make it too hard for someone to join if your goal was to, to build a, a movement. Yet as these people are listening in anticipation, as they're waiting for the details of what this means and what this entails, what do we have to do to get this life? Jesus says, to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, we know Jesus was a carpenter. So either he was just terrible at marketing when it came to, you know, business, organizational leadership and strategy, either he just wasn't good at it, 
or Jesus was very particular in the kinds of people he wanted to build his kingdom. See, Jesus wasn't concerned by how many people followed him. But he was concerned about the kinds of people that would follow him. And what Luke is communicating here early on in his gospel is that Jesus' earthly kingdom, it would be built upon people who had the ability, who had the willingness, who had the commitment, the passion, and zeal to love even their enemies to love the hard-to-love and difficult love to love people. Sure, they would love their family and friends too. That's, you know, implied and that's a great thing. But what would set them apart, what would distinguish Jesus' kingdom from any other kingdom here on earth was the ability to love hard-to-love people, enemies. Look what Jesus says in verses 32 to 34. It says, if you love those who love you, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Jesus says, when, when, when you love people who love you, what credit is that to you? When you do good to those who are good to you, when you lend money to, who, to people who have the ability to pay you back, what credit is that to you? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, um, what, what's so special? about that? What's so unique, so, so different? Now, he's not saying that those are, are bad things. Those are all good things, right? To love people, to love nice people and kind people too. But he's saying when we do those things, when we love people who love us back, when we do good to those who are good to us, all it proves is that we are a human being created in the image of God just like everyone else. You know, when my kids were, were younger, uh, you know, there'd be times where you know, they'd finish eat, be eating their meal, and then they would grab their dishes, and they would take it over, and they'd put it on the counter. You know, there'd be times when they would go to the bathroom, and they would you know, go in the toilet, and, you know, you're just like, woo, like, great job. You're such a big girl. Here's a treat. Want some ice cream? Want to go to yogurt land? But, you know, spoiler alert, we don't, we don't do that anymore. Right? We don't applaud them every time they do that. It's not because those are bad things, right? The hope and the prayers, they continue to do those things the rest of their life. But it's not anything special. It's not something to, to be celebrated, applauded, because it's kind of the expectation of every human being. That's what Jesus is saying. 
when we love the people who, who love us back. It's good, and it's so important. But it doesn't set us apart from anyone else. Right, you see, what Jesus fully understood is that in order for him to expand his kingdom, he would need people who could reflect what his kingdom was all about. In order for lost people to experience, tangibly, practically experience the kingdom, he would need people who could reflect the very heart of the king. And what was true back then is still true today. The one thing that will truly separate disciples of Jesus from anyone else is our ability and our willingness to love even our enemies. Yes, we want to grow in our love for our families and our friends and our acquaintances, yet what will set us apart is how we love the, the hard-to-love people. And that's hard. And it's difficult. So the obvious question is how. Right? Like how do we grow in our love for people? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 35 to 36. It says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, he says, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, Jesus isn't saying you need to love your enemies so that you can be saved, so that you can be children of the, the Most High. He's not a communicator, you better start doing this or else. But what he's communicating is that this kind of love requires complete spiritual transformation. That it is humanly impossible, that it cannot be done by flesh and blood alone. That in order to love this way, you had to become a child of God. You had to be renewed, changed, transformed, so that ultimately you could love the way that he loves. And Jesus fully understood this better than anyone else. Right? The fact that he was on earth preaching this message is demonstration that he knew that we could not do this alone. It's why he came. It's why he had to demonstrate what this love looked like. Why he went to the cross, offering forgiveness and grace and mercy for anyone and everyone who would simply trust that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit, to do the work of sanctification in each and every one of us. So believing in Jesus, placing our faith in Jesus, it's ultimately coming before him and saying, Jesus, I trust you to do whatever you want to do in my life and through my life. That Jesus is telling his followers, at this point of, of the ministry, right? he's commanding them to love his enemies, but the expectation is not for them to begin loving their enemies right away. They're unable to. But rather, this command is an invitation. 
for them to, to trust him, for them to, to follow him, for them to allow him to bring about this change and bring about this transformation. So a couple of things I just want to point out, some practical ways we can place this in God's hand, practical ways we can trust him and allow him to, to bring about this kind of love. A first point, and these may be stating the obvious here, is that we need to believe that this is better. Like I said, it might be stating the obvious, but we need to believe that living this kind of life, having this kind of love for difficult people is actually a better way of living. It's better for them, obviously. It's better for us. It's better for everyone around us. Now, maybe for some of us, it's, it's easy to, to, like, well, that's obvious. It's easy to assume that, well, I mean, you know, we're believers. Jesus said this. Of course, we believe it's better to live this way. But, but sometimes when, when we start talking about this idea of love, when we start talking about this idea of turning your cheek or loving our enemies, a lot of times we get in these conversations and you'll hear things like, I know we're called to love, but we also need to be wise. I know we're called to love, but we need to guard our hearts. I know we're called to love, but it's also important that we take care of ourselves. I know we're called to love, but we need to, we can't let people just walk all over us. And while those things are absolutely true, Sometimes we have to, to wonder. You know, when we begin to add so many different caveats, so many disclaimers, so many precautions, at the end of the day, do we really believe this is a better way to live? That to be someone who would willingly and joyfully turn the other cheek, give up the shirt in addition to the coat, to give to anyone who asks, that that would be a better way than to, to not. Right, 2,000 years ago, these followers listening to Jesus, they had to make an immediate decision. Right, they had to decide whether following Jesus would in the end be worth it or not. And some of them believed, yes, we believe it'll be worth it, and they followed Jesus to the very end until they willingly, joyfully gave up their life for the sake of another. Some of them just thought, no, this, this, ain't, this, ain't, this isn't worth it to live this kind of life. And they left, and they went back home. And we know that there were a lot of people that were just continue to follow, but one foot in and one foot out. What about us? We all have people who are very easy to love, and we love them, and, and that's praise God for that. We all have people who are extremely difficult to love hard to love. We don't even like thinking about them. And then we all have a whole bunch of people who are just somewhere in the middle. Do we believe that growing to love those people would be better for us, for everyone around us? And if so, then we can come before God and say, God, you need to help me love them. You need to change my heart. You need to change my mind. Change how I think. Change how I feel. And if maybe you're like, I don't know. Like, I wish I could, but I don't want to. 
And you can be honest with God to, with that too. God, if this is how you want me to live, if this is a better way of living, you need to convince me. You need to show me that it's worth pursuing. So one, we got to believe it's better. Secondly, and last point here is we cannot settle for less. Don't settle for less. And by not settling for less, this is what I mean. You know, a lot of times we will encounter someone who's difficult. We get annoyed, we get irritated, maybe we get offended or even hurt. And in that moment, we feel all these kinds of negative emotions. Maybe we feel irritated, we're annoyed, we're angry, we're upset, we're furious. And because we are believers, we kind of limit what we say to them, but maybe we just talk about them. And we try our best to not retaliate and to still be cordial and kind. And a lot of times when we do this, we kind of accept this as this is normal. This is just how people feel when they're around difficult people. And in the world's eyes, it is normal. In fact, many people in the world may look at us and actually applaud us. And be like, wow, you didn't say anything mean. You didn't do anything mean. You just held your tongue and you just were cordial and respectful. And it's so easy just to dismiss it and just say, well, this is normal. This is just how people live. But part of not settling, part of striving for growth and maturity is to at least acknowledge that in the kingdom of God, that kind of response isn't normal. And it's not normal because that's not how Jesus responds. It's not how Jesus thinks. It's not how Jesus feels. It's not how Jesus wants that person to be spoken about, treated. When I used to coach my daughter's uh, basketball teams when we were just starting out, um, you know, my, my hope and my goal as, you know, as both a basketball fan and also as, as a Christian was to you know, help these kids, one, understand how to play the game, right? to teach them basketball, to teach them the basics so that they could thrive, they could succeed. But my other goal was also for them to be able to, to just feel loved, to know that you know, they're, they're special, they're valuable, they're unique, and nothing they did on the court changed them. So whenever you know, the, the kids would you know, start playing the game and they would just pick up the ball and they'd run, you know, or they'd double dribble, or they'd shoot on the wrong basket, you know, part of the coaching was to go to them and just be like, it's okay. It's fine. Right? You are still a valuable human being. Nothing changes them. You're special. You're important. And just for them to feel that affirmation. But part of it is also, well, but you can't keep doing that. It's not okay to keep traveling. It's not okay to keep double dribbling. It's not okay to shoot on the, the wrong basket. And you see, when it comes to this topic, it's both. Yes, it is hard to love. Yes, we are broken, sinful human beings who harbor bitterness and harbor resentment and get irritated and get annoyed and get impatient. And on one hand, it's, it's okay. You are a son and daughter loved by God. 
You are forgiven. You are holy and pleasing in his sight, and nothing changes that about you. And you have to believe that, and you have to receive that. And at the same time, we have to be able to hear, as a disciple of Jesus called to build his kingdom, it's not okay. It's not okay. We can't stay irritated. We can't stay annoyed. We can't stay bitter. We can't stay resentful. You see, later on in Luke's gospel, he would tell us that when Jesus was hanging upon a cross, beaten, bloodied, battered, naked, in pain, humiliated, and as he would look upon the crowd who had done that to him, the crowd who was mocking him and taunting him and laughing at him, All he felt was compassion. And he would say, Father, forgive these people because they know not what they're doing. See, this is the kind of love that we're called to have. And until we get there, we all have room to grow. It's the kind of love that God has for his enemies. It's the kind of love that God ultimately demonstrated for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that we are called to have. So as we close our time this morning, as we, we sit and reflect, as we come before God, a, a big part of it is just receiving his grace. Just reminding ourselves of the kind of love and grace and mercy that God extends to us every moment of every day. And a part of it is coming before God and saying, God, are there people in my life? Are there relationships in my life? Are there emotions and thoughts in my life that you want to speak into, that you want to change, that you want to transform. Will you pray with me?